life a song When I started balling, I was young You gon' think about me when I'm gone I need that money like the ring I never want I want Sussing, sussing, sussing on you I'm swagging, I'm swagging, I'm swagging on you I'm balling, I'm balling, I have a song on you What? is up doe welcome to another edition of the pixel and roll show where we discuss the best basketball team in this frozen tundra of ours the washington your washington wizards hello everyone this is adam mcginnis it is january 20th 2016 snow doom is upon the east coast it is coming soon but to, to warm you up with some podcast joy we're going to discuss some NBA basketball. With me today is uh, an associate editor of Slam Magazine. He is also a Washington Wizards fan, so it's a twofer. Uh, Mr. Abe uh, Swadron. How are we doing, man? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me. I feel like this is long overdue. Yeah, it, it, it is. You know, we, we've actually met in real life, which, which is even better. You know, sometimes I just holler at people randomly <laughs> online, and then we're like online friends, but we actually have conversed in real life, so that's always a benefit. Yeah, man, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, man. Happy to happy to join you today. So I didn't did mispronounce your name, so that's good. Uh, but yeah, let's, let's, let's talk some hoops. So your your role, I know you've worked for Slam for, for a while, and I know you're from the, the DMV area, so what is your, you know, just your background to let the people know? Yeah, man. So like you said, you know, I grew up uh, in Silver Spring, um, you know, right there on, on the D.C. border. I went to Montgomery Blair High School. So I'm um, loyal to all the D.C. teams, which is made for, a, you know, a semi-depressing sports <laughs> life. But uh, yeah, man, I, I just grew up, you know, reading Slam and, and uh, like many people, you know, had, you know, all the cutouts on my wall. And, um, you know, I read every issue cover to cover and I kind of just made it when I was like 18 years old, I was like, I'm, you know, I'm going to work there one day. And, and basically, when I was in college, uh, I did a few other internships. Um, I worked at actually both of the sports radio stations in DC. Um, so I met some of the, some of the local, you know, characters uh, at both of those stations. But then I just started like mass emailing everyone at Slam, being like, how can I get a face to face with someone? And eventually, just you know, you know, edge my way into an internship, and then kind of starting. Starting like the 2012 season, that's when I started full time at Slam. So you know, it's it's been a great ride. And uh, the cool thing about Slam is that, like you said, I get to kind of keep, you know, my my fandom. Like we kind of encourage each other to keep up, um, you know, rooting for the teams that we actually like. That's the one cool thing about being at a magazine like Slam versus kind of like being a B reporter where you're kind of stifled in terms of like your fandom. You know, you're supposed to be all unbiased, but I still get to. You know, I still get to openly root for the Wizards, so that part is cool. Yeah, so you don't have to hide your fandom at all, huh? Exactly, exactly. In fact, I do the exact opposite. I think everyone <laughs> here knows how strongly I feel about the Wiz. So it's kind of like Andrew Sharp at Grantland. You kind of he kept writing all these random stuff about the Wizards, and I'm like, man, how does that get past his editors? <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you know, as, as a role of covering the team for a blog, you know, obviously, you know, you know, we don't have to hide our allegiances because we're you know writing for a team site and our readers are fans. Mm -hmm. So, but it is it becomes it became more difficult, or not difficult, more complicated. I would say I, never difficult for me personally, but more complicated when you're 
you know, you're in an opposing locker room and you're asking dudes questions or you're covering the team with the media pass and you can't just be mm-hmm. all about the Wizards questions. You have to kind of find a way to subtly ask, so what do you think about Bradley Beal or John Wall? And you have to ask about the game when you don't really care. I mean, you care about the right. game, you're, it's, but it's producing in your game report. But you don't really care about this losing streak that, you know, the, the Hornets are on, per se. <laughs> and, and, and it, always, right, right. You know, it always was funny, too, and I don't know what your experience has been, you know, interviewing, when you interview players, or do you just let them know that you're a fan of the team? Or does that never come up? Well, I, it actually, I mean, for me, it, it kind of rarely comes up just because, you know, um, not everything that I do is, is Wizard-centric, obviously. Um, but I mean, when I deal with some of the Wizards guys, I mean, you know, I, I've done a couple longer features on John Wall. I mean, I think he probably knows by this point that I'm a, I'm a Wizards fan. So, um, you know, just easier to kind of connect with those guys. But yeah, I mean, in this, in the same vein as you were kind of saying about opposing locker rooms, like a lot of the time I'll be working on sort of longer features. So I'm not necessarily asking about, Hey, what happened on that play in the third quarter or whatever, or you know, like a losing streak, like you said. So that is kind of a, a skill to kind of figure out how to ask these guys about their background and their lives and their interests and stuff without focusing so much on, you know, the, the X's and O's of one particular game. Well, what was funny is, like, once bloggers and, and fan base type of journalists were getting access to the games, it became this ism between mainstream and bloggers and about rooting for the team and openly rooting. It, 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 to me, that never really was the case. I think the Wizards lost so much that I didn't really cheer that much. <laughs> like I didn't have that much time for joy. It was more relief. Right, it was right. more relief when they when they when they won. I mean, you gotta keep it as long as you you know, act in a professional way and know that you're there in other aspects. They just hang out with your buddies and drinking a beer. I think that it's all right. good. A lot of that is overplayed, especially now in the year 2016. Th- those those fights of the two early late 2000s seem seem a distance past by now. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. So what is your role with Slam? I know you said you worked your way up, but what do you currently do? I know you, I know you write and do some editing. Yeah, so we actually have a, a really, really small staff. A lot of times people are kind of surprised. Um, you know, we really basically have only five or six people that are that are full-time editorial here. So so we all do everything pretty much. Um, my, you know, title is associate editor um i'm also the kicks editor so pretty much everything sneaker related that we do online or in print uh goes through me um i handle a lot of the you know a lot of other jobs like getting all the art for the magazine um you know whether that's contacting schools or teams or whatever it may be um but my day-to-day like you said is, is um you know doing a lot of editing doing a lot of our social media um doing, you know, working on longer features. So, I mean, that's the cool thing about working at Slam is that, you know, we have a small staff, which means there's a lot of responsibility, but it also means that I get to have my hand in, in so many different things. And, you know, the you know the fun parts of, like, being on our Twitter page, our Instagram, um, you know, the more difficult parts of, of editing the longer features for the magazine, which can get a little tiresome. You know, obviously I've read the entire magazine probably two times before it hits the newsstand, so... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do it all pretty much, and uh, it, it's a lot of fun. How, how often do you guys publish? Once a month? Yep. Once a month. And what has been the transition from, you know, and I know you guys do a lot of stuff online. What has that been like transitioning from, you know, having more of a online presence compared to coming from a background of a print 
uh, being a established print magazine. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, for me and a couple of the other younger editors, like, you know, we obviously grew up reading the magazine, the print magazine, and, you know, it's obviously still doing just fine. You know, lots of other print magazines have gone out of business and, and we're still standing. Um, but at the same time, you know, we've, you know, sort of that younger generation, we come in and, you know, really stress that, like, all these other things are super important, like, you know, having a, you know, making sure our Instagram is popping at all times, making sure we're active on Twitter and, you know, all the normal stuff that's like, you know, is, is second nature now. Um, and, and we really tried to kind of seek out um, some younger, you know, you know, just hungry writers that we can send out to stuff. And uh, yeah, man, I mean, it's that constant struggle because we still have the same size staff that they used to have here when it was just the print magazine. We have the same size staff and now obviously online is is such a big booming part of of what we do so um we still kind of consider ourselves underdogs so you know uh but, but we're scrapping and clawing and i think we've done a nice job of establishing ourselves online as well now when you when you talk to players or you request interviews to for your pieces or you know some project how often are they aware of slam magazine is is players of this era still aware i mean i remember it from growing up i'm a little bit older and and you know and iverson and even Garnett, how aware now are, are this younger generation of the history, one, the history of Slam, or just your name in general? Yeah, I mean, I think that's actually a really interesting question, and it comes up a lot. Um, I think it's cool because, you know, I actually think the players have much higher awareness of Slam Magazine than, like, our peers do, uh, if that makes any sense. Like, you know, occasionally we'll catch catch some, uh, you know, some shade or some, some slander online for, you know, being irrelevant or whatever, um, which I always laugh at because all the players instantly know who we are because of exactly what you said, because of, you know, they grew up on AI, they grew up on Kobe and, and Gordon, like, basically players that are so iconic to our magazine, and so these guys definitely know who we are like there was i don't know if you caught this but a couple of weeks ago i mean on our cover right now is um we have a split cover between boogie cousins and chris Stapps porzingis and someone in the new york media asked porzingis like about the cover and <laughs> the exchange was like kind of funny and it was kind of passed around on twitter a little bit but basically like the writer one of the new york guys was like hey like what do you know about Slam? And, and kind of Porzingis kind of looked at him funny or gave some funny answer. I forget the specifics, but he was like, yeah, of course I know what that is. Like, <laughs> I grew up reading it or whatever. So it's just, I always just laugh, like, when, when um, you know, people try to, you know, give us crap or whatever. Like, I, I mean, I can tell you for a fact, for example, that um, we do a top 50 countdown, the Slam top 50 before the season every year. And, I don't want to say who it is, but there was one player who I can confirm, like, was not happy with his ranking and, like, <laughs> screenshotted the, the Instagram and, is you know, basically used it for motivation and, and he'll be an all-star this year, um, more than likely. So, That's funny. so, so yeah. So, it's like NBA, yeah. it's NBA 2K ratings and then Slam Magazine rankings. That's the one that pisses off today's <laughs> players the most. <laughs> Uh, at, at least this one, yeah, at least one. <laughs> well, it's funny, didn't uh, 
didn't Chris Tapps, didn't he have cornrows like Iverson? There was like a photo of him in like high school I've ever seen or maybe yeah. in junior high where he had, he had the white braids, cornrows going on. I, <laughs> I thought that I was think, funny. Yeah. I think that was actually a nod to Mello, which is even stranger, but there is a, <laughs> I, I mean, I tweeted it out like when that picture came out, there's a mellow, uh, slam cover from when his time with the Nuggets that literally looks exactly like that photo because he has the baby blue headband on. Yeah. So that is funny. That, that is funny. Yeah, let's talk about some of the projects you've worked on lately. I, I read a really good piece about about socks, about kind of smart socks. Can you just discuss that in, in greater detail? I'll definitely link it in the sh- in the show notes. Yeah, man. Um, so, I mean, obviously, you know, hopefully people have noticed if they've watched um, NBA basketball this season that uh, there's a new sock on the court. Um, that's Stan Sucks took over the NBA deal this year. And actually, you know, we have a really strong tie to them because one of our former editors, um, Svee Tversky, he is now the head of basketball at Stan Sucks. So we're pretty tight with those guys. Um, and we we kind of knew this was coming down the pipeline. But basically, I mean, if, if you haven't tried these socks on, you need to go get a pair because honestly, these are the most comfortable socks I've ever worn on a basketball court or off. Um I I played in a rec league game last night and I played terrible, but I felt super comfortable. These socks, um, and I mean the story is pretty cool. Like they they started as a really small sort of like action sports brand, and one of their founders just like had like his biggest dream was to be the outfitter for the NBA. And and if you notice, like you know how the NBA always had just like the generic white or black socks with the logo on the side. Like those were really crappy socks if you ever have tried those on like the only reason the only reason that guys were still wearing those is just like out of habit and i think some of them still were kind of like resistant to change this year just because you know people don't like change but like those were just like old white tube socks and basically what stance came in and did is is make like a actual quote-unquote performance sock you know i mean like these dudes are wearing like the best highest quality pinnacle basketball sneakers yeah custom made custom made with broke ass like tube socks and get at walmart yeah exactly (laughs) so exactly exactly so i mean it's kind of like finally like someone decided to do this now the i mean the interesting thing is that more than likely with nike taking over um the outfitting of the league like i I might i don't know exactly what what the deal is but i think stance is only on a two-year deal because I'm sure that Nike will want to put their product on, on guys' feet at that point. But for now, yeah, Stance is doing a really nice job. And they, they have all the dope socks with, like, you know, um, ex-players and even some current players, like, faces on the socks and stuff. Like, Ben Wallace's number is getting retired for the Pistons coming up, and, and they're going to wear some special socks for that. So they do a lot of cool stuff. How much do these retail for? 20 bucks a pair? Yeah, uh, you know what? I'm not 100% sure, but it's not outrageous unless you go for, like, the highest end stuff. So, I mean, they're in Foot Locker and everything, so I feel like people would have seen them by now. But definitely, definitely, if you're listening, go try the official NBA socks. They're awesome. Yeah, I, I bought a pair for my nephew at the All-Star game last year with the all New York background in the back, and he really liked them. Yeah, I, don't know if that, I don't know if that was the same company by then or not, but I bought them at the Madison Square Garden. Uh, he seems to like them. I didn't actually ask him how they felt. It was more like what they looked like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's both, yeah. 
It's both. And then, I, you know, speaking of Mello, I saw that you hung out with him recently and a bunch of kids in New York. Uh, before I ask about that experience, is Mello, can Mello still be a New Yorker and from Bmore? Because, you know, I don't know what age he was when he moved, maybe nine or ten. But it seemed to me that he is more Baltimore than New York City. And I understand from a marketing standpoint, it's good to take both. But for me, he is more represents, you know, West Baltimore than he does uh, Red Hook. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was I actually always kind of wonder the same thing. Like, he kind of has one, one foot in each. Um, I, now I'm thinking like I should have asked him about that, but I didn't want to, you know, piss him off or anything. Yeah, yeah that's, kind of a, I know, that's kind of a dicey question, right? <laughs> yeah, um, but he definitely, you know, he's definitely taken to, to New York and certainly, you know, Jordan Brand and whoever else is definitely taking advantage of his, you know, whatever New York roots he does have. So, but yeah, I definitely consider him a Baltimore guy for sure. So you were hanging out with him with a bunch of young kids playing a bunch of video games. Uh, I'm going to link that piece as well. It was pretty, it was pretty funny. People, a lot of these kids were talking trash to him. I, I like that angle that you took in your article. Yeah, man. I mean, that's, that's one of the great things about New York. Um, you know, obviously I'm from the DC area, so I, I know how we are down there, but definitely in New York, like these, you know, kids, kids will not hesitate to talk smack to anyone, let alone, you know, Carmelo Anthony, you know, in their own sitting right there playing 2K with them, um, which is cool. I mean, I think Melo appreciated that. Um, and he, he, you know, I thought that that whole day was pretty cool. Like, um, yeah, explain, I don't what, know if explain you, what it was to the people. Oh yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it was, um, in conjunction with the release of his latest sneaker, um, as a lot of these things are, but that being said, I, and basically it was just, uh, you know, Jordan brand and Melo, you know, got a, some select kids from around the city, some who were, um, quote unquote, like influencers, like, you know, young kids, 17, 18, 19 year old kids with big social media followings or stuff like that. And then later in the day, um, it was just kind of more just like random high school kids from one of the local schools. Um, and Mello just surprised the kids and, and hung out. And it was cool because, like, I, you know, when I spoke to him, I was like, are you trying to give these kids like a message or anything? And he was like, well, yeah, kind of, but really all I, all he really wants to do is just kind of like hang out, just like touch the people, you know what I mean? Like just kind of hang out it, with the kids. Just kick it with them? Yeah, which I, which I think is cool. Like, you know, he doesn't need to go out there and, and give them some long speech. Like really, they, you know, just seeing an NBA player up that close, especially one of his caliber, I think, you know, does enough. Um, but on that note, like I've noticed – and I don't know if other people have noticed, but, like, I feel like Melo has really, over the last year or two, like, really kind of taken, uh, like, taken steps to really, like, I don't know, hang out with kids more, do, do more stuff with kids. Like, he had that trip to Rikers Island uh, over the summer, which was really, really interesting and, like, came out of the blue. Like, he definitely did not have to do that. Um, and this is a guy who, like, if you remember, like, way back in the day, he was popping up in, like, some of those like don't snitching don't stop. snitch videos yeah i was about to say yeah like the stop snitching dvds and stuff uh in baltimore so, so like i don't you know i think i'm not sure that that was like a conscious change but he's definitely like grown up and and um so that's interesting to see that he's like kind of on this whole other side of that now because so a lot of us will never forget 
seeing him in those <laughs> in those DVDs and stuff. So I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad that he's kind of on the other side of it now. Did the NBA find him for that? I can't remember. I know he got shamed by the you know, white male sports media. Old white males got all mad, which obviously not a good look. If I want to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, that will stick with him. Yeah, forever. Yeah, it doesn't. Doesn't. I don't think it was good either with him being from Baltimore and everyone watching The Wire either. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, no. Exactly. Now, what other what other projects have you been involved? Like, I guess I'll discuss that later. But what uh, you? How often do you go to Knicks games or Nets games? How often are you around in the NBA players? You know, what you just kind of do different events or what? How? What? How much of the season have you really been exposed to this year? I'm assuming you're going to the All Star game. Yeah, I'll, I'll be up there in Toronto. Definitely looking forward to that. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, being in New York is great because so many, um, you know, offshoot events that that aren't even NBA games. Like so many of the sneaker brands have great events here, um, and and I'll travel to some of those too. Um, I just did a, a couple trips in the in the last couple of months, and, and those are cool because you kind of get the guys away from their normal media routine. Um, sometimes a little bit of better access, even if the the subject matter isn't exactly what you want it to be. Where were the trips? Um, where were the trips? Where'd you go? Uh, there was a Portland trip with Nike. There was uh and then I was in San Francisco actually for in December for um, Clay Thompson's sneaker release with a Chinese brand called Anta, which was kind of interesting. Um, just that, because how was that like? Never, what was that like? It was different, man, because, you know, they don't do almost any business in the U.S. So it was a little, like, I'm I'm so used to, you know, the Nike trips or the Jordan trips where, you know, it's a very, um, yeah, like tight, tight itinerary. You get the athlete for X amount of time. He's in, he's out. Um, this was, the Anta trip was, was fun just because, you know, they, they kind of, they're, they're new to the U.S. market and. They're just kind of happy to be there. They, they took us to a Warriors game and just kind of let us roam free. It wasn't a lot of like talking about, you know, the, the bullet points of the brand and the sneaker. Um, it was cool. They, they just kind of let it flow and, you know, it was a little disorganized, but I'm sure that's just because they're, they're so new to the, to the U.S. sneaker game. Um, well, why is this happening? Why are Chinese shoe companies, is it just money or? Why or why are NBA players yeah. now signing with them? And is Clay Thompson? I think Dwight Howard signed one, signed one with one as well. Is Clay Thompson one of the most other prominent guys? Or what? What kind of movement is happening here with NBA players signing with foreign companies like this? Well, first and foremost, I mean it's a money thing because um, you know these guys. I mean, not to not to get too inside, uh, you know, baseball or whatever on it, but like. If it, let's say Clay Thompson was just like a Nike guy, um, you know he's probably getting less than a million dollars uh, a year, or um, and, and just like free reign of Nike product. But probably to a Chinese brand, you make a few million dollars um, per season on that contract. So for some of these guys, you know, it's it's a good move. Like with uh, Clay Thompson, Anta also has uh, Rondo and. Chandler Parsons, I believe, um, and Garnett. So and the, the funny thing about the, the Chinese um, sneaker market is, like, the fans over there really 
like really really care about like winning and championships and really don't care at all about like rising stars so like i don't they probably don't have any idea who andrew wiggins is for instance but they love but they love like rondo because he has a title you know what i mean it's like just a different sort of culture at least that's what these guys were telling me when we were on this trip so so anyone that's been in the finals or won a title is you know clay thompson for example has more cachet than than a you know uh andre drummond (laughs) yeah exactly exactly and like so like for them for them, like seeing, you know, Ben Simmons like coming out of the draft, like they don't even know who that is because up and coming, like rising stars don't mean anything until they sort of are a champion. How, how many how many Chinese sneaker companies are doing this? Is this is there multiple ones that are in this game? Yeah, so um, Dwayne Wade is with Li Ning, which is another one of the big ones. And then there's Peak, which, like you said, has Dwight Howard. And I think Peak might have the most sheer number of guys in the league. Um, they also have, like, Tony Parker um, and then some other guys. But, yeah, those are probably the three biggest Chinese sneaker brands that you'll see in the NBA. And, um, I mean, I know you want to probably want to talk about this later, but I, I think this is a – I wouldn't be shocked, actually – or at least I wouldn't have been shocked. I don't know what will happen with like his agent situation, but I wouldn't have been shocked necessarily if John Wall ended up with a Chinese brand after what happened with Adidas. Cool. Yes, we we will we will discuss that. Uh, we'll we'll get into that uh, later on because I have a lot more questions uh, scheduled for you on that. What? Cool. So so when you've seen the NBA, you went to these events, but what about the season? What have you seen on the court this year? Your top storylines is is are we just waiting for the seven game series between the Warriors and the Spurs? Is this what this is all about? Waiting <laughs> for the game? Are we just waiting for the game the game five to see who can win on each other's the game four or five see who can win on each other's home court? <laughs> I mean, I hope so. I hope that's what everyone wants. Um, I mean, I, I can't wait until Monday when we get the first taste of it. Um, but I mean, for me, yeah, it's still the Warriors. Like, I'll tell you. I mean, just from. They played in Brooklyn here um, like a few weeks ago, and it's insane. Like the Brooklyn games here normally are just depressing. Nobody goes to the games. The team sucks. It the environment is just dead. Like even more dead than it was the past couple of seasons when it was still pretty dead. And the Warriors came to town, and it was craziness. Like you know how they have the little kids like line up and shake hands with the team as yeah, they run yeah, out. Yeah. They they put those kids on the Warriors side like in Nets shirts because they, I've never seen anything like it. It was crazy, and well, then obviously they you know they they proceeded to blow them out. So I mean I think for me it's just the the Warriors popularity this year is crazy. Yeah, you know, it is it is nuts to see them so popular and so damn good, and them to have just the amazing start that they have, and then Steph Curry just being Steph Curry doing things on a basketball court that I have not seen my entire life. And I don't, and I'm not even ashamed to use that hyperbole. You know, sometimes there's too much superlatives or hyperbole. <laughs> like that's the best dunk ever. That's the best ever. And it's like, no, he really is like the best shooter I've ever seen. <laughs> like I've never seen anyone yeah. shoot, shoot, shoot off the dribble with his range ever in my entire life. Like ever. And then, no, I mean, he did that that shot like the for pistons? example that the pistons yeah, shot I'm like what the hell was that I don't think any basketball player could shoot that so confidently without the shot clock going down or without 
gonna be uh, pulled out of the game. And like, even on a bank. Like, the coach might be like, dude, you can't just be shooting 40, 40 foot pull-ups, 35 foot pull-ups with, <laughs> with, uh, you can't just dribble the ball past half court and just pull up and shoot it. Like, we gotta run an offense. <laughs> 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 yeah, like I would, I watched that highlight like four times, looking at like, okay, maybe the shot clock was down. No, okay, maybe the game clock was down. No, it was like the like, first quarter, dude. Was there, did, yeah, it was like maybe he thought there was a whistle or something. It's like no, actually, he just really thought that was a good shot and drilled it. Yeah, and then and then Draymond Green and the way they were able to play small and just dominate people, and then even Pogut, they're able to play big. Their bigs are really good too. Sometimes it gets overlooked. And everyone obsessing over this new style of brand of basketball because of that one lineup they have. It's so, so tough to match through any team in the NBA. But they got some bigs, and they play defense. There's, a, there's a, just an overall amazing, amazing team yeah. to watch on basketball. Yeah. Um, I mean, on the, Draymond, on the Draymond tip, just real quick, I mean, we have – there's at least – you know, we've, we've had arguments in the office. I, I have at least one unnamed slam staffer who – will go to the death saying that Draymond is a top five player this year. And while I disagree with that, I I understand the argument. I, I can see that he's been unbelievable. Well didn't the one game he didn't play it all fell apart? And that probably just, yeah, re- yeah, that, just exactly. reinforced it. that probably didn't help in your argument with your buddy. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> they just reinforce. And then and then they're doing this without Steve Kerr, which is another overlooked thing that doesn't really get much attention. Yeah, totally. I mean, they're they're un- absolutely unbelievable, and and they're so fun to watch too. You know, I mean, uh, it's the, like they're just appointment television. No matter who they're playing, like, I mean, obviously when they have the big games, the Cavs, the Spurs, everyone will be watching. But I mean, you could have a random Tuesday night, and I'll be like, oh man, it's, it's like ten fifteen. I gotta <laughs> go turn on the TV and watch the Warriors, which is like something that. that I don't think any of us have done for one particular team in a, in a long time. So I'm just enjoying the ride. But plus what I've heard from other people kind of piggyback on what you said was just like this rock star environment that they now have that they're, that the NBA is such a national people root for players a lot. And we make fun of, you know, the LeBron fan that now is the heat fan. Now he's a Cavs fan again. And you root, you know, they're not making fun of all the Kobe fans in here and there, but there's a lot of Steph Curry fans. Now there's a lot of Warriors fans and now when they're going to these games, they're showing up to see him. They have no ties to San Francisco at all. Yeah, the, no, the Area, totally. Right? Totally, totally. And, I mean, I think it's cool that, like, they're starting to, like, you know, kind of low-key talk some trash, too. Like, they're so <laughs> confident now that, like, you know, Steph, Steph saying, you know, even if it's a subtle shot, you know, Steph's kind of out there low-key talking about champagne in the Cleveland locker room and whatever he meant by that. Like, I don't know. I just I just like the fact that they kind of feel like they can talk freely now because they're so damn good. Well, it was funny how they used that Doc Clipper or Doc Rivers Clippers quote to now be like have a chip on their shoulder after they're the champs, right? <laughs> right. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Is- and, I mean, Draymond, Draymond is the best, too, with the talk. Like, he's just the best talker. And I, I don't know how you could not. I mean, some people, it's weird. Like, some people, I've heard some rumblings of some people that just have kind of Warriors fatigue. They're just tired of seeing them everywhere. But for me, I think it's awesome. I can't get enough of, of hearing these guys talk their talk and, and go out there and do their thing. Yeah, no, they, they play the Wizards here in two weeks. Uh, two weeks from yesterday, uh, be the, the game they play uh, in D.C. 
And it's actually they're uh, doing uh, the Chinese New Year is the night. It's the year of the monkey for those oh, yeah. for those wanting yeah. to know. So they, <laughs> they they they've tied it in well. It, it actually ends up working out well for the Wizards to have a you know a, a San Francisco based Oakland based team on uh, the Chinese New Year game. And I, I yeah, just I just cool. hope I just hope the the Wiz can keep it within uh, fifteen or twenty. Uh, <laughs> anything, anything else of the season that stands out aside from the Warriors being awesome? Just any things that you've kind of enjoyed in this NBA season, which were pretty much at the halfway mark. The All Star Game, I know, is uh, Valentine's Day weekend here in about three weeks, but about pretty much uh, the Wizards are about to play their forty uh, first uh, game here tonight against Miami. So we're right at the halfway mark of the season for the for the Wizards and most teams. Yeah, I mean, I think the other cool thing, maybe it's just because I'm so close to it, but, I mean, just people going crazy for Porzingis. And and the thing I love about him is he's so, like, I don't, he's just so cool, off like, cool, calm, collected. Like, he just doesn't seem like a normal rookie. And, like, you know, these guys, sometimes the international guys take a while to adjust to just to living in America. And he has so far past that point like he, he just came in and was like yeah what's up guys i'm here like i'm a normal normal guy fits right in listens to drake and future like i mean <laughs> and, and in new york people go crazy crazy for him um and and a lot of his warranted i mean he's a beast he's, he's fun to watch too right I, I saw the his jerseys jerseys top five sales in the nba yeah, we were just actually arguing about that list too in the office because I, I mean I think some of that is just because if you're the hot rookie with a new jersey out there, and especially in New York, you know that you're going to get on that list. But we'll see, we'll see if he can maintain that status into next year. But yeah, so, so he's definitely like, in, like like inflated numbers, like nobody has one, so you're going to stock up where everyone already has the Cavs, the Braun jersey, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, not to make ourselves too depressed here, but I kind of think it's like the RG3 thing where he was like top three in Jersey sales in 2012 to the same stuff. But so, we'll, we can leave that aside. So, so when RG3's Cowboy jersey will be a hot seller uh, next year, will be top seller. <laughs> or or, or the, the Houston uh, Texas RG3 jersey? <laughs> Uh, if it if it's a Cowboys one, I'll, I might have to vomit. Yeah. Dude, it, it seems like Porzingis is a is a likable dude too. You know, I, I mean, I I really am exposed to him through uh, still following you know KS Life, Kevin Serafin. They seem to be BFFs. Right. They seem to be BFFs all all the time. But this I don't know. They do funny funny things, and he seems like that he has a personality off the court and along from you know having some game. Uh, the Wizards haven't played him in a while, but. I, I did was impressed when I saw him early on in a preseason game and in a regular season game on Halloween. Yeah, man. I mean, we I had a chance to sit down with him like right before the draft too. And um, back then, like we didn't even really know who this guy was or like how his English was or anything. And he had so much personality. Like he was hilarious. He was talking about like he wanted to do, go on a like his dream date was like Rihanna or whatever. I, he, he just really like, really like shockingly impressed us like at our uh, at the Slam draft suite that we do every year. Um, and he was like all of seven three, like <laughs> so tall. It's so like, tall. He, he actually he came in at the same time. He actually happened to like bump into Carl Towns. Like they were cross paths um, at our event, and he was like significantly 
taller, at least, than Carl Towns. Obviously, Towns had, like, you know, plenty of weight on him, but he was definitely, like, you could tell he was the, the taller guy. So, but, yeah, he's he's awesome, man. And, and if you if you guys get a chance, definitely go read um, his cover story uh, at Sam Online that uh, my colleague Adam Figman wrote. Um, they, they spent some time together, like, at the Knicks training facility, sat down, and, and sat, you know, by all accounts, he was, again, awesome, you know, just, just hanging out um, and, and just basically being a, a, like any other, like, American kid, except that he's an funny, unbelievable basketball player. Funny Latvian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Latvian gangster. The Latvian. Whatever it is. Oh, yeah. I, I got a buddy whose his grandpa's from Latvia. And he's been he's been emailing me about this guy for years. Now I just have to send him highlights. His name's Justin. What's up, Justin? And he came to visit. I showed him the <laughs> Latvia embassy in DC. So this is he's telling me so he has some friends and family back in Latvia and they're just all about him, dude. <laughs> they're going nuts for him, which is understandable. I mean yeah, I can't awesome. is he the first Latvian player? I believe so, right? I can't think of another one. I think so. And- he has multiple rap songs about him now, too. So, I mean, his pop culture rating is off the charts. Aside from the Latvian guy, what other, any other things, NBA stories that come to mind before we move on? Um, I mean, the only other thing I'd mention is just that, um, I've, I, I mean, me and a couple other guys in the office have really, <laughs> like, we've kind of, semi-adopted the Detroit Pistons that like our fun other team to follow just because they have just so many like characters and and young guys in that team and un- unfortunately they're one of the teams that's kind of standing in the Wizards way right now but uh I've enjoyed I've definitely enjoyed like keeping an eye on the Pistons uh just because you know they have Brandon Jennings who's always been a slam favorite um Drummond who's always been cool with us uh you know Reggie Jackson who's been playing great um, so yeah, I mean, that's just kind of one of the low key fun teams. If you have league pass, keep an eye on the Pistons. Yeah. The, the Wizards beat them. They actually won early in the season, uh, uh, in Detroit, but they haven't faced them again, uh, since then. But mm-hmm. yeah, they actually, they actually defended Drummond really well that game for some reason. And Reggie Jackson kind of messed up at the end, but, but yeah, same man Gundy. I mean, you know, give him props. He's, he's a hell of a coach. And once he gets kind of the system and what he wants to do, he always seems to have success, you know. Whether or not how far they go in the playoffs, and whether or not they can sustain the success, I know their bench has always been kind of with their bugaboo uh, this season. And I haven't really checked it lately, but it'll be interesting to see how they kind of shake out in the East. And and Abe, what a segue! What a segue! You mentioned <laughs> to to guys, you're a professional segue here to those Washington Wizards. We we we've buried the lead. You are a Wizards fan, obviously. I am. We've talked about a lot of other things, but the Wizards. But this is a Wizards podcast, so let's get into it. The uh, Washington Wizards are currently 19-21. and They play Miami Heat tonight. The Heat are missing a ton of people, but we're not going to go into a game preview. I have, have other avenues for that. But what I really want to discuss with you is, let's just, let's just go right off the bat. How do you feel about this team watching them this season? I mean, shaky, for sure. Um, you know, I feel like... You know, it's I'm, this is not any. You don't need a detective to tell you this, but like, you know, all the injuries and and this was just supposed to be a season where this team was going to take another step forward, um, not necessarily a leap, but you know, another solid step forward. And it just seems like it has all been you know one step forward, two steps back, no matter what happens. And 
why why getting to 500 is proven to be so so difficult is <laughs> is so frustrating um and you know i feel like every time i i we you know there's a high note it, it's followed by like a two or three games of just like gross gross play or somebody gets hurt um it's just been like a very frustrating season especially to follow like from afar you know not not sort of being around and in the mix and hearing the sports radio and all that stuff like it's been really frustrating to to follow just via leak pass and twitter um so i think you know shaky and frustrating is definitely how i feel at the moment do you how would you describe the season to you know you're a friend or a family member or someone who hasn't really paid much attention to the wizards you know how would you describe what's been going on with this team I mean, first and foremost, I have to just point to the injuries. Um, I mean, the, the sad thing for me is that I feel like John Wall has, has continued to play the way that we expect him to. I mean, he hasn't necessarily taken a you know a mega leap into you know top ten players in the league where where I actually thought that he would have been this year. But he can, I mean, he continues to get guys open looks. Um, the effort is there. I know he's been lagging a little bit on defense of late. People have criticized him for that, but I just feel like he, you know, he's been balling still, but so many injuries. Um, you know, this team was obviously sort of wanting to play small ball, but just doesn't have the personnel. It seems like to to actually do that. Um, so it's just like trying to fit a you know a a square peg in a round hole or whatever cliche you want to use. But um, and some of you know another frustrating thing for me is, and it's not necessarily his fault, but I just feel like we haven't really ever gotten the Bradley Beal that we've been promised. And some of that is due to injury, but, you know, some of that is he's been there at times, and, and we just, I just feel like we, we've never reached, you know, peak Brad Beal even to what we would expect in in the progression of a, a normal NBA player. So, well, it's frustrating because yeah, you, you see I mean, him dominate two straight playoff series, essentially, right? And then exactly. you're waiting to, that, to carry over for the season, and injuries have, have have led that to not happen. Yeah, and it's funny, actually, uh, you know, I was looking at some of the news today, and um, Eric Gordon for the Pelicans is going to miss some time with another injury, and I was <laughs> having a discussion with uh, with Rodney, who's the in-house MC uh, for the Wizards, yes, some of you may shout know. shout out, shout out. Or recognize. <laughs> he was texting me John like, John <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 Rodney. Uh, he was texting me like very fearful that Bradley Beal might be the next Eric Gordon, um, <laughs> which I thought was a, was a, too too early, um, but definitely like a terrifying analogy, especially you know given the way that Eric Gordon just cannot stay healthy. Uh, so I don't know. The, the Beal thing is, is definitely super super frustrating. Did you agree with the decision of the team to, to try to play the small ball? Uh, I mean, I, I do. I definitely agree with with the general philosophy. I think that's you know the way the NBA is going. Unfortunately, guys like Draymond Green don't just grow on trees. Like these versatile, you know, undersized big men that can also shoot. Like to, you know the the whole Humphreys experiment where he hasn't shot a three in like a decade and now he's going to stretch four. It's, 
just seemed crazy to me. I've never been a big Chris Humphreys fan in general. Um, and then I don't know. I just, I just think it was like, you know, it's one of those things like not to relate to things to football again, but like a defensive coordinator coming in and saying, I want to run a three, four when you have four, three personnel, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, it seemed like they were, the Humphreys thing was kind of a stopgap until Dudley got healthy. And we've seen Dudley, sure. and, and, and Dudley being healthy has has really changed the team. But then once Dudley got healthy, then Beal went down. And then you, exactly. you have Alan Anderson, who never has played all year, who I think that they really counted on to be a rotation player to kind of play some small ball. Hey, everyone. That wraps up part one of my conversation with A from Slam Magazine. We go on for another 50 minutes, which is part two. Let's go check that out. And as always, go Wiz. Sound one last chance 